It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. All right, welcome back to Market Radio, round two. God, I uh, I went out and I got myself a new rig, and I'm trying to get it all set up and done fucked up. <laughs> I know, big surprise, right? Uh, no, okay, welcome to Market Radio. This is episode 60 for November the 4th, 1996 at the Van Andel Arena in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hosted by Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, Mike Tanay, and Bobby. The Brain Heenan, this is the 21st week in a row for Nitro to win the bra, the, the war that is a ratings war with a 3.4 to Raw's 2.3, 7,568 in attendance with a $102,340 live gate. There is also a reported $38,000 in merch sales. According to Larry, we're literally in the middle of nowhere. Stings in the rafters, the giant DiBiase look on as Vince flexes. And we go live now to Tony and Larry at the announced position, which is the old announced position for just Tony and Bobby, but is now Tony's Dale. Eric used to have the fucking cool set. Now Tony's on it because Eric's going to be transitioning into doing um, call-ins, apparently. Anyways, they're at the new announced position, which is the old announced position with the new WCW World Women's title on the table as the tournament is going to get started off tonight. Larry compares the NWO to gas price manipulation. It wasn't really the worst comparison, but it took a long time to get there, which is ironic considering I'm saying that. We get another throwback to the Piper Hogan promo from Havoc, one of four times this is going to happen tonight. This time it is very brief without all of the shoot elements, which is... You, and it's exactly that. According, oh, excuse me, Marcus Alexander Bagwell uh, with Scotty Riggs defeats. No, don't do that. You know what happens every time you do that. We get shit on YouTube. I know you don't care. Please turn it down so I can talk over it, would you please? All right, defeats Brad Armstrong in seven minutes, 27 seconds. I gave it three out of five. American males, American males, American males, American males, American males. Fairly solid wrestling match, though it was interrupted, at least at a rest spot this time with the commercial break. Armstrong takes a legit bump where he uh, gets his wind knocked out of him as uh, he takes a crossbody on the floor from Bagwell, who catapults himself over the top rope. Another crossbody. Put this one in the books as uh, Bagwell and Armstrong ran the ropes and then eventually ended by doing a double cross body, which is a spot that all wrestlers love to do. There is no way to make this safe. There is no way to take this bump soft. It is just painful all day long. And never in the history of wrestling has a match ended with a cross body, by the way. Uh, until, until tonight, excuse me, until tonight. 
Jesus. All right, after this, we get DDP defeating Ice Train with Teddy Long in six minutes, 34 seconds. I gave this one also three out of five. Tony starts off here by burying Patrick as the NWO ref, but also that he and DDP are apparently in cahoots as Patrick had the Battle Bull ring in his pocket, ready to award to whoever won the DDP Guerrero match at Havoc. Now, Larry reminds Tony that it's Patrick's job, job to have the ring and to award it to the winner. So Tony goes off on a tangent that even wrestling fans couldn't believe. Yet more awesome booking from our boy Sullivan. He really should stick to booking lovers' quarrels. Uh, they're less cringe-inducing. Ice Train's back on Nitro, now rocking new gear, and the Outsiders appear in the stands where they get to put over the fa- themselves and pose while fans cheer and give them high fives. Tony shoots on DDP as someone who's only in business for himself, unlike Tony, who so far this month has accused three people of being potential NWO members. And we're also not on the heels of pointing out Sting in the rafters constantly from that fuck up. So that's awesome. Thank you, Sullivan. Drain sells a top rope guillotine spring from DDP, fully using the spring of the rope there to make him make the move look really big. Drain uh, gets a huge pop, kicking out of DDP's pin attempt and tossing him over. Nick Patrick then sells his neck pain. DDP gets thrown to the outside where Nick Patrick goes to follow him. Lord knows why the outsiders get into the ring and lay out train while Patrick is distracted by DDP on the floor outside of the ring train upset. Uh, I guess absorbs the outsiders run in uh, long enough to start beaking at them as they run back up the ramp. DDP gets back into the ring, delivers the diamond cutter and puts the match away. After this, we get World Cruiserweight title match. Dean Malenko defeats Scotty Riggs with... No, don't... Jesus. You know, every time you do this, I get in shit from YouTube in the form of demonetization of the video. And it always says WWF slash Jimmy Hart. So I guess, in addition to my producer, Jimmy Hart should really fucking calm down. This is not a song to protect. American males, American males. You want to protect the song? Protect like Warriors Entrance. When you say that I'm coming, better run for cover. Girls, you don't need a weekend lover. I just, I don't, but it's just a fucked. Just turn it down. Turn it down. Turn it off. Thank you, Jesus. All right. <clears throat> Dean Malenko defeats Scotty Riggs in a cruiserweight title match. Gave it one out of five. As Malenko is working over Riggs, six comes out to put over his heat. There's a botched spot here where Malenko fails to get a boot to the face in the corner, so he just backs up and tries it again. Malenko hits the rope later on. Riggs, who was up on the top of the rope, takes a bump out of the ring where Bagwell just tosses him right back in. He's on his hands and knees, so he, of course, eats an Oklahoma roll to eat the pin from Malenko. Post-match, there's some heat between Riggs and Bagwell. <gasps> They're not going to break up the males, are they? Don't, don't do it again. Why? Could you just at least start in the middle somewhere? (laughs) Anyways, this is supposed to be teasing them breaking up the males yet again. I don't know if they're going to pull the trigger on it this time. I do know eventually they break up. I just can't remember at what point that happens. There's a recap here of Horseman's shenanigans for Benoit's win from last week. Eddie is, of course, legit hurt. And he was hurt before the match. And since then, he's had trouble breathing from three cracked ribs. So he's on the shelf for a couple weeks. So he gives big brother Hector a shout for the next match as Chris Jericho, or sorry, Chris Benoit with woman defeat Hector, Hector Guerrero in four minutes, five, four minutes, five seconds. Jesus Christ. 
I don't know how long the match was. I'm giving it four out of five, though, unlike my fucking commentary. Thank you. <laughs> As I said, Eddie's hurt. He calls his big brother Hector to come in uh, to keep the heat between Eddie and Chris going, even though there's also still heat between Benoit and Sullivan, which... Uh, to, at least to their credit, Eric and uh, Ric Flair are trying to avoid, but of course, Sullivan being one of the bookers, that's just going to constantly end up on the fucking air. Anyways, we get a screening picture and picture promo with uh, Sullivan and Hart, and uh, Tony has to set up this promotion because apparently on Saturday night, Benoit had some shit to say. So in order for Sullivan's promotion tonight to make any sense, Tony's going to have to explain us what happened then. You always know that this promotion and this show is getting really solid professional backing when you've got to set up something that sets something else up to set up something that's going to happen later in the setup to that thing that's going to happen down the line for the setup. What? Little missed opportunity on that one there, Producer Brian. Um... Yeah, no, Sullivan does this promotion, and um, I have gotten quite a few emails, which I appreciate, really. I, I really, I love getting them. Thank you. I actually do like getting emails when they're not Smarks freaking out because I'm saying that this is a shoot and not a work. Let me ask you this. Um, So Sullivan this week is wearing his robe finally. I'll give you that. Does he have on the uh, fake eyebrows? No. Oh, okay. Uh, mascara? Is he wearing his mascara? No. Hmm, weird. Um, is he wearing any makeup at all? No. Hmm, interesting. Hmm, very weird. Uh, was he putting on the gravelly, I'm putting on a promo voice that he normally does? No. Oh, shit. Uh, eye rolls. Was there an eye roll? Oh, no. No, it was just a pissed off husband whose wife is fucking another dude who's now going to air his dairy laundry on television. Sweet. Yeah, no. This is totally a work. Absolutely. Not so much. Anyways, Hector being a little bit nervous, being in front of a live North American crowd is shot out of a cannon, though performing very well. Again, during this match, but at least during a rest period again, we get a commercial break. See, look at this. WCW's promotion is finally getting their shit together. Anyways, during this commercial break, we get an NWO by the shirt promo. Hour two starts midstream. Oh, God, Tony and his fucking play-by-play. Midstream? Is that really? We're going midstream? I'm streaming. Um, The show was not. And even if I wasn't streaming, I still wouldn't call what I do in the middle of a stream to be announcing it midstream unless of course you poor bastards are having to listen to me take a piss in which case i have to take a break midstream to come talk to you about wrestling anyways bobby joins the announced position for the second hour back in the match woman interferes by grabbing hector's hair chris capitalizes by using the middle rope to put up his feet to get the win post-match the camera goes to the giant who's holding the u.s title and watched the entire match there's a throwback to last week's nitro and last week's jarrett giant heat Tanae and Jarrett promo on the ramp, and that gets interrupted by Benoit and Mongo, claiming that Jarrett shouldn't really be speaking on behalf of the horsemen, which, of course, he wasn't. 
worked and I asked him about the horsemen, which he commented on, but didn't speak for them. Anyways, after Benoit and Mongo are done and them and their ladies leave, Jarek gets back on the stick to rally the troops while insulting them and calling a lot of them fat, which is super great way to get everyone fired up to go and take on the NWO. Oh, you mean it's not? What what are we supposed to do then? No, that's not how we're doing that. The camera goes to sting and the nosebleeds while the producer tries to wrap this promo up. Of course, Jarrett breaking kayfabe again to tell the guy not to tell him to wrap it up. Thank you, Jarrett. This guy would go on again to run a wrestling company. Back from break, Larry's left of the announced position, leaving Tony there, and he and Heenan are joined by Tanae. They talk about Sting for a while before throwing to poor Lee Marshall and his 1-800-ROAD report from the place where all wrestlers go to retire. After this, we get a WCW World Championship quarterfinal match. Medusa taking on Reina Jabuki. I wish I was joking. That is her name. Three minutes, 14 seconds. I uh, gave it two and a half out of five, despite Tony and Bobby being distracted by the fact that this female wrestler from Japan wrestles with, um, well, with feathers on her head. It's a fairly stiff match here with Medusa having to defend herself a few times with some kicks to the back of Jabuki's head. Tony lets us know, or sorry, Tanae lets us know that he was involved in booking this tournament with a lot of women wrestlers from the Gaia promotion. Now, despite the fact that they brought in a bunch of female wrestlers from the guy promotion. And you might be asking, well, why didn't they bring in glow wrestlers? Well, the answer is unfortunately quite simple. WWF had bought up the rights to glow. Um, and none of the women wrestlers that were wrestling that had any sort of contract under glow could wrestle. And also there's this tiny little thing of Medusa having come on, WCW Nitro a few months ago and dumping another promotion's belt in the trash, which sort of put her in, well, put her in everybody's shit books for, um, a, f- a, a few, a few years. You're going to just, uh, Kate fab me all the way to the very end of this thing, aren't you? Anyways, um, zero comes out, who's another female wrestler, with Sonny Ono, of course, to scout the match. Uh, Sonny Ono says some things about Medusa being made out of plastic and um, peroxide for her hair. Don't really find that all that risque. Maybe in the 90s it was. I don't know. Anyways, post-match, there's some heat posturing with Medusa and Zero before we move on. Chris Jericho defeats M. Wall Street after this in 6 minutes, 47 seconds. I gave this one 2.5 out of 5. No, Rotunda is a is a journeyman wrestler. He's been around for a while. I remember playing the WCW video game on the original Nintendo. Yes, I'm old. Fuck you. When I was a kid, and I'd either pick Rotunda or Flair. Now, watching this match is slightly depressing because Rotunda's being used and has been used since coming back to WCW in 95 as a developmental talent to put other wrestlers over. He never really got much of a run in WCW, other than being an NWO member that was ousted by J.J. Dillon in 1997 and would wear anti-WCW merch around the ring and for promos until he left to go to New Japan. Don't worry, we're going to get there. It was a decent match overall, not awesome, not shit. 
After this, we get a Tanae Patrick Alan Sharp promo again with the bogus lawyer gimmick. Director of Relations Alan Sharp, who is such an accomplished actor, and this gimmick was given so much attention that he didn't even come up with a character name. Instead, he's just going to be himself, and he is going to come out and thrill us with his amazing, amazing comb-over. No, it does not get a fucking Windows to that. Jesus. Anyways, Jericho almost blows past the promo, but stops to cut a promo on Patrick and his goofy lawyer, who went to a fight one time and a hockey game broke out. I love that joke. It's so good. Boy, the next word that comes out of your mouth better be some brilliant fucking Mark Twain shit, because it's definitely getting chiseled on your tombstone. Teddy Long comes out to cut, also cut a promo on Patrick. Jericho and Long both know that Patrick is on the NWO tit. And to further drive that point home, the live cam goes to DiBiase and Vincent in the audience. The lawyer, to his credit, tries to make this about Long's suspension as a referee, but Jericho turns it around to the here and now. Jericho is by far the best thing about Patrick's whole heel turn. Back from commercial break, we get to see a collection of Sting in the crowd moments, and to WCW's credit, this was done just before the Luger main event, and the Luger main event is going to get a rematch with Booker T. Look at this. They're fucking coming around. Now, this match is announced by Tony as something that the championship committee came, made happen. And as much as I want to shoot on the championship committee, as has been done online numerous times, it's actually a shortened version of its full name. World Championship Wrestling's Booking Committee. They just made it smaller, like Dusty said, by just calling it the Championship Committee. It doesn't mean they're booking championship matches. It means it's World Championship Wrestling's Booking Committee. And right now, that's Sullivan, Bischoff, and Hogan, with Flair being involved from time to time, usually involved in screaming matches with Bischoff backstage. Anyways... Luger defeats Booker T with Sister Sherry. I gave it two out of five. Booker comes out with Sherry showing a little more skin and nip than usually happens in WCW, which is still a Southern company. And it's something that they really sort of shied away from was the over-sexualization of women. Uh, But listen, there's nothing wrong with it at all. I know she's older, but she's still got a decent rack on her. Thank you. Luger comes out, flexes a bit, and then we get a picture-in-picture promo with Lex begging for a sit-down with Sting. Not a really great match at the end of the day. It felt rushed, and these two can go, but it felt really rushed, like they're just trying to get a couple high spots in just so they get the Bischoff's fucking promo. Speaking of which, the match ends, and there was this, I guess... Bischoff version of an over-the-phone interview, which, again, just like Lee Marshall's, happened back in the production area. Um, And it really was not even worse than Lee Marshall's has done. Anyways, Eric is apparently getting stonewalled by Piper's people in booking the match between he and Hogan. Now, so much time was rushed through that last match to make it to shitty Bischoff's promo that when we get to the end of the show for Hogan's finishing the show promo hogan hours sucked um hogan had to burn some time so took his sweet ass time coming down to the ring and then of course there is me being a fucking mark hoping that this was going to be better than last week's promo you are a big 
yes, 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 I am. And um, this whole fucking promo started off with the live mic only being pumped into the fucking arena and not live over the air. Eventually it would get there and um, Hogan is going to cut a promo about the Cable Ace Awards uh, that he and Bischoff are politicking for a WCW award, at least a nomination, I think is what they were hoping for. Now, I know you're wondering, well, did WCW win an award at the 1996 Cable Ace Awards? Fuck no. Did WCW even get nominated for an award at the 1996 Cable Ace Awards? Fuck no. Weren't you paying attention? Of course not. But I did go looking. Did WCW ever actually win a Cable Ace Award? Well, to be fair... They were from the mid-80s until 1997, so there's really only one left. And no, no, they didn't, and no, they wouldn't. I mean, they, of course, won some PWI and other wrestling media awards, of course. Um, But wrestling has always sort of been the redheaded stepchild of the entertainment industry, and it always has been, and it always will be. Even when a company did win something from an actual award show, it was always a work or an award that had no other nominees. Now, that being said, In 1996, TNA actually did get a nomination and win for Best Supporting Actor in a Movie or Miniseries, which went to Tom Hollis from The Heidi Chronicles, which is a movie adaptation of the stage play by the same name. Now, he also won an Emmy and a Golden Globe as Best Supporting Actor, and The Heidi Chronicles won another Emmy and two other Golden Globes, as well as this Cable Ace Award, not to, you know totally bury Eric and Terry. But by the way, Tom Hulse was awesome in Animal House. That's right. Pinto, aka Larry Kroger, who is famous in Animal House as being the guy who had sex with an underage, though technically not illegal, sex with a 14-year-old girl in the movie. There was another Turner production, by the way, that also won a Cable Ace Award, a documentary called Survivors of the Holocaust. I, they can't see you. Apparently knowing that I'm an idiot and would likely do or say something horribly offensive here, the producer is now jumping up and down, waving his arms to roll this bit along. All right, fine, I will. But let's talk about (laughs) award shows, shall we? No, it's not going to be about the Holocaust. Anyways. Cybermania 1994, which was hosted by Jonathan Taylor Thomas from Home Improvement. William Regal and Brian Pillman would come on stage and play the WCW video game while Leslie Nielsen did a bit about video game violence. Now, listen, I told you I've got a new setup. The audio and video for this fucking bit is awful. See, it's only coming out of one side. It's already driving me crazy. You can barely tell that this is Regal and Pillman. Anyways, they get wireless controllers for the original Nintendo system, or even if it was the Super Nintendo. They get wireless controllers that actually do have wires on them that are just bundled up to play, play WCW's video game. Uh, While Leslie Nielsen comes out to, um... Uh, This celebration of computer gaming. 
So there are some uh, kind of promo. Voices. You know, the thing is, he's just going to basically reiterate everything that you've ever heard any fucking moron politician ever say about the violence in video games, except that now Regal and Pillman are going to act it out for us. Uh, <laughs> so, according to Regal's book, no one explained to him and Pillman that this was going to be a comedy bit. I'm not quite sure how you can agree to this appearance, know that Leslie Nielsen is going to be in the bit, and not know it's going to be sarcasm and comedy. As Regal, how can you claim to have liked the Naked Gun movies and still claim that you had no idea what was about to happen on stage while you were performing a bit where you were... Wrestling on hardwood. I just, I'm not quite sure how you don't know it. And oh, look at that. Here comes the midgets. No one looks surprised, and it's not their acting abilities. Pillman fucking thought he slams a midget onto Regal. I'm sorry, little person. But listen, Regal even shoves Pillman over a little person and forces this whole debacle to be stopped by Leslie Nielsen. Who will now pretend to fire a gun into the air on national television? Hold it! Hold it! Hold it! Now, if you're Regal and you're claiming in your novel, and I'm calling it a novel now because it's now, now it's everything suspect, it's a work of fiction now. So, if you're Regal and you're claiming that you didn't know this was going to be a work, that you didn't know this was going to be a gimmick, and yet you knew all these things were going to happen so much so that you were ready for them, I'm not quite sure how that works or how that goes over. I'm not quite sure how everyone's supposed to believe that shit, but you know, cool, I guess. I just, you know, I love Regal, but it goes to show that even, even a guy as accomplished as Regal can sometimes try to reinvent history. Anyways, tonight, on Nitro, Hogan cuts a promo on Piper. Now, it could it should come as no surprise to any of you that Piper was indeed under contract to the WCW already and had been for a few weeks before Havoc when he first appeared. Over about three years, Piper would make $2.7 million between his contract and license, licensing, and he appeared on 15 pay-per-views and 15 TV shows. According to his contract, which was broken down, he was only contractually obliged to be on six pay-per-views and 45 other appearances. Those can be any appearances WCW wants. With at least 60 days notice for a maximum of 52 working days per year. Year one, he was paid per appearance. Year two, he had a guaranteed contract of $750,000. And year three, he had a guaranteed contract of $800,000. Pretty good deal, really. He didn't get a cut of any merch, and that's largely because he didn't have any. The Hot Rod brand was and is licensed to WWF, and he tended to wear No Fear or Reality Check shirts, which started off sort of in that same font as Hot Rod, but the Reality Check shirts would eventually sort of become a little bit more political uh, as he sort of worked himself into a shoot on those. Now, the show went off the air at the end of Hogan's posing nonsense. Hogan hours sucked. Thank you, Big T. Now, after the show went dark, though, 
Luger would come out and he and Giant would have a dark match that Luger would win via disqualification. Now, WCW was doing this to test out some Sting swerves. In one instance, Sting would come down and join the NWO to test audience reaction. Now, like this time, though, Sting would come out and lay out Luger, giving him the DQ win. In some cases, Sting would go back into the crowd and disappear like he would tonight. Other times he would join the NWO and beat down Luger. That's why there's so much confusion around Sting and when he was NWO and why. They honestly just didn't really know what to do with him. The Crow gimmick was the best they could come up with at the time. And having him play out in the rafters and having it go on as long as it did actually worked out. And the route they ended up going down worked out the best for Sting, the NWO, and WCW. But there was a lot of trial and error here. Uh, this was the norm back in pro wrestling and, and in the indie scene and the mid nineties. These days, of course you can't do this kind of stuff because everyone's got a video camera in their pockets and they'll post things online while it's happening. So some of the magic is gone, but, and this is just me, this opens the doors for companies to be smarter about protecting the business and their storylines. If you watch AEW, you'll know what I mean. As this week, Sting came out. Now someone's always going to leak, but again, in the mid eighties or sorry, mid nineties, both Eric and Vince would get almost perverse pleasure in getting rumors out there to the dirt sheets and the websites that weren't even remotely true. And of course, they were aided by Gene Okerlund's 1-900 number and fucking Mike Tanay. Overall, Nitro scores another three for me. The Benoit-Hector match was by far the best match of the night, in my opinion. Everything else was either okay or just fluff. We're building towards World War III, of course, which the winner will get a shot at Hogan for the title. Or would they? Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out MarkOutRadio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.